Take your Bibles, if you would, and let's turn to the book of Luke. And we're going to be searching a little bit through the scriptures. We just finished the Christmas season and New Year's. And, of course, one of the themes of the Christmas story is joy. We are to rejoice. The shepherds were to rejoice in the fact that they were able to see God's salvation. Simeon and Anna rejoiced in the temple. A little while later, the wise men rejoiced with exceeding great joy when they saw the star which led them to the very place where the young child was. That young child, of course, was Jesus and He is the source of all joy. I want you to look with me in verse 10, uh, I mean, verse chapter 15. If you know Luke chapter 15, the, the theme of this passage is lost things being found. And in the first story that Jesus tell, tell, tells here, he tells of the lost sheep. And in verse 7, he says, I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner repentant more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. The story of the second is a, a lady that has lost a piece of silver. And most of us would think, well, you lose a quarter or uh, if you're old enough to remember the old silver dollars, Uh, But that was not the case. This piece of silver would be worth many days' wages. Be like losing a $100 bill. How many of you, if you lost a $100 bill, would search your house till you found it? How how many of you would say, Ah, I found that dumb thing. Wow, that really wasn't worth the effort. Well, hold on, your dollar may be worth less as time goes on, but... Uh, Right now, a $100 bill is still worth enough that I think you would put an ample search and when you found it, you'd be happy, not sad. Amen? And uh, we go down to verse 15 here. I mean, sorry, not verse 15, verse 10. It says, Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. You know, I've heard many stories, especially from men like Brother Clayton and some of the other older preachers of literally dozens, upwards of hundreds of people even being saved in one service. I never will forget the story he tells of being in Korea in the 1970s and uh, they gave the altar call and every person got up and came forward to be saved. And he said, sit them down. He said, let's, let's explain this again. Apparently you didn't explain to them what I explained to them. And they went through it all again and everybody got up. And uh, he says, okay, we're going to deal with this right. We're going to deal with each person. Make them all get in line and we'll deal with them in groups of two and three. And uh, so they made a line and it went out to church and into the street. And people came walking by. What do you stand in line? He says, we stand in this line we'll learn how to go to heaven and when the sun came up the next morning they were still dealing with souls so wow wow wouldn't that wouldn't that be incredible can you imagine the joy bells ringing in heaven 
But you know what? It doesn't take a hundred people to get saved for the joy bells to ring in heaven. It takes one. It only takes one. Now, people have invented all kinds of stories of reaching from this life in which we live to beyond. Let me tell you, you can reach beyond your mortal existence and literally ring the joy bells in heaven by giving the gospel to another soul. Can you imagine that? How many of you have ever been in an old church where they had the bell? And you want to pull on that rope now, don't you? I mean, it's just something that is in the heart of every, I don't know all you ladies if you want to pull on the rope as well, but I know every guy when they see that rope and they hear there's a bell up top, I mean, they just want to ring it. I mean, it's just part of being a little boy in a big man's body, I think. And, uh, but I, I thought about that as, as you think here, Jesus said there is more rejoicing over one sinner that needs repentance than over 90 and 9 just persons which don't need repentance. Now, was Jesus saying God's not near as pleased with people who live for him? No, no, no. You have to read the entire passage. He's talking about lost things. You see, the Pharisees thought they were just. They knew they didn't need repentance. And that's why God wasn't rejoicing. But there were some sinners and some publicans, the, some of the lowest esteemed people in the land of Israel... And yet, they believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, they set off the rejoicing in heaven because they surrendered to the Lord. I want to challenge you today. If you're in this auditorium and, you're, have not, and you have yet to settle the issue of your salvation, I would challenge you, make today that day Surrender to the Lord. It is not some mystical thing to get saved. It is just the surrender of your person to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that asking too much of you? I don't think so. How many of you give testimony to the joy that was in your hearts because you've trusted Jesus as your Savior? Amen? And the fact that you know that no matter what goes on, He is in control. Now, I want to challenge you. God is in control whether you're saved or not. He does not cease to be God because you refuse to believe Him. But if you want to set the joy bells in heaven to ring in, would you surrender to Jesus today? You don't even have to wait until the invitation. What would be wonderful if somebody came, I got saved during the message. I just want to tell everybody about it. I'll tell you what, all you have to do is 
surrender your life to him. Jesus said to publican, pray, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. But you know, when Jesus moves in the inside, everything else on the outside changes. We live in a world where people try to be incognito Christians. I want to challenge you, that kind of Christianity is foreign to the Word of God. If Jesus is really living on the inside, he's going to change the outside. The only problem is you can change the outside without having Jesus live on the inside. But when he lives on the inside, the joy just has to come out because he is the source of all joy. Does that mean you're going to be happy-go-lucky and kicking up your heels every day? No. You know what? Don't grow weary in well-doing. But if you don't get tired once in a while, I want to challenge you, maybe you're not doing enough well-doing. Amen? Uh, Maybe you're not extending yourself enough. Maybe you're not delving into the more serious problems. We live in a world full of heartache. And if you reach out and touch someone whose heart's hurting, guess what? Your heart might hurt a little too. But that's okay. Because if you can help that person find the Savior, you set the joy bells to ringing in heaven, my friend. It's the only thing I know that the Bible tells me that while I'm living on earth, I can reach beyond this human existence. It's joy in the presence of the angels. Why? Because when someone gets saved, every person that has Jesus Christ living within them has to rejoice. There's a connection that goes from this life into eternity. Now, don't believe everything you read in the dumb story books about all the ghosts and goblins and all that kind of ridiculous stuff. It doesn't exist. But I will tell you this. There's a lot of rejoicing going on in heaven when a person gets saved. And if you understand that, don't you think that would make you just a little happy too? Amen? Don't you think that would give you joy? You want to bless the Lord? Bring somebody into the kingdom. Amen. That means getting saved. Being born again the Bible way. Jesus was talking about lost things. He said when the lost is found, there is rejoicing. God himself rejoices. And everyone that's waiting on the other side rejoices with us. How many of you would like to have some more joy in the coming year? You know, I think, I believe that if we sincerely ask God to give us an opportunity to win one soul to him in this coming year, I think the Lord would answer that prayer.
I mean, we've often said this. If every adult could just bring one person into the fellowship of the church in this coming year, you know what, we'd have to, we'd have to have, hold two services on Sunday morning to get everybody in. It would, it would be wonderful, wouldn't it? It'd be crowded, be busy, but it'd be good now, wouldn't it? Be full of joy. There is joy over salvation. Let's pray to that end. Let's ask God to use us. And if you're here today and you're not saved, all you have to do is surrender to Him. Now, you can't get saved and surrender to God on Sundays and keep Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. God wants all of it, amen? He wants every part of you. And when He gets it, He rejoices. Because when God is in control of your life, guess what? He only wants what's best for you. One thing as a pastor I just do not understand is people say, well, I'm afraid of what God might do. He might might make me a preacher. No, ma'am, you don't have to worry about that. God doesn't call lady preachers. Unless you're married, then you can preach to your husband. Amen? He needs it. No. God has ordained our service for him. I will tell you that you cannot outfigure God. You cannot come up with a better plan for your life than the one he has already designed. But it's not going to come without difficulty, my friend. But can I tell you the root of the main difficulty is getting past yourself. It has nothing to do with God. He only does what is best. Joy. Salvation, amen. The beginning of life. Let's turn to Luke chapter 24. We'll look at two verses here as well. This is Sunday evening of Resurrection Sunday. Jesus has been in the tomb for three days. In the morning, the ladies have gone down and different ones of the disciples and found the tomb empty and they're gathered together in this locked upper room hiding from the people that that they feel put Jesus to death and thinking in their own hearts and minds that they're next on the list. And all of a sudden, Jesus appears. Verse 41, and while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said, have ye here any meat? Verse 52, and they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Now, please don't raise your hand, but how many of you have had to deal with the 
post-holiday blues. I mean, you have the fun and all the excitement of the holidays and then you just kind of get a little down. You know, that's something that is just part of our society. You, you cannot uh, have a time of, uh, of great joy and excitement without just a little bit of a letdown. Otherwise, you really didn't get as excited as you thought you did. Yeah, if you ever met anybody, it's always the same, just straight across. They don't get happy. They don't get sad. They don't get mad. They don't get glad. I mean, they're just always the same. Uh, you can live that way if you want, but I kind of like a little variety. Now, listen, emotions, someone said, are the spice of life. Now, does anybody remember what happened the last time you put too much spice in the chili? It wasn't good. You can get too much emotion. You can, on the other hand, get not enough. But if you want to keep it balanced, you've got to remember the resurrected Christ. Have you ever thought about the resurrection? I'll tell you, it'll do better than your Prozac and your lithium and whatever else new drugs they've they've come up with if you want to be encouraged. Meditate. No, not sit with your knees crossed and go home. Uh, The only thing that's going to happen if you sit around with your knees crossed is you're going to get cramps in your legs, all right? And if you're young enough that you don't get cramps, don't worry about it. But don't waste your time. The word meditation means to fill your heart with the, uh, with the scriptures and let it permeate your soul. Probably the best way to describe it is put it up in your mind and let it filter down into your heart. That's meditation. Don't meditate on nothing. Think about the resurrected Christ. What had the disciples gone through as they saw him beaten and dragged through the streets of Jerusalem leaving a trail of his own blood? As they heard the nails being driven into his hands and his feet. They were hiding most of the time. Don't you think they were peeking out of the little cracks in the crevices where they were hiding and saw the cross overlooking the city of Jerusalem? They knew where he was buried. And now somebody had desecrated the tomb, at least that's what they thought. And there he was standing in the midst of them. The Bible says they were trying to climb out the window. The only problem was that first step from the second story was a little too big to take. And they didn't know what to do. It says, well, they believed not for joy. They couldn't comprehend that Jesus is alive. What does it mean that he resurrected from the dead? 
Listen, the greatest enemy we face, is it not death? And yet, He resurrected. He's got the victory over death. If He has the victory over death, He has the victory over sin. He holds in His hands eternal life. You know, many people, in order to keep their life, would do great and grievous sin. Somebody said, if you, if you don't do what I tell you, you're going, I'm going to kill you. Could I challenge you today that it is better to die honest than to live in sin? Amen? And that the greatest deeds accomplished by mankind have been accomplished by men and women who were not afraid to die because they had something in their heart and in their soul that was bigger than life itself. We had the privilege uh, this week of just visiting the Intrepid Museum. And we stood in the very spot where 69 men lost their lives during World War II. They have quite a uh, multimedia presentation. And I'll tell you what, I just had tears streaming down my face the whole time. I don't know how many of those men were saved and went to heaven and how many of them went into a Christless eternity. But I will tell you this, the cause of freedom beat bigger in their hearts than the cause of living. We've got to get a hold of something if we're going to have joy in these last days when everything wrong is going on around us. There is something greater than just existing. It's living for Jesus Christ. There are ideals and truths that are larger than any individual. You've heard it from this pulpit and from this preacher on many, many occasions. Where did the men who put this country together get their ideas of individual liberty? Where did they come up with the idea that though it was stated in the Declaration of Independence uh, will never be fully lived out because human people are depraved and sinful that all men are created equal? Where in the world would they get such a radical idea? Nobody in Europe believed that. They still believed in the divine right of kings in the 1700s, as long as the king cooperated with parliament. Otherwise, bad things happened to the king. Talked to a guy named Charles. I think he had a little difficulty keeping his head in place. But uh, that's another history lesson for another day. Even to this day, they have the House of Lords. 
because they're better people than the commoners. And yet, as we study human history, study American politics, we have a group of people here in the United States that believe that the vast majority of us don't even know how to drink a soda pop without government intervention. You'll drink too much. We need to limit the size. I get so tired of that. Why do they get these ideas? Well, they're going to take care of you because you don't know how to take care of yourself. You don't know how to take care of this planet. You destroy it. I'll tell you what, you are looking at the biggest carbon footprint that you will ever see. With 12 children, our carbon footprint reaches into the next generation. <laughs> But God intended it that way. His creation will take care of carbon dioxide, all right? He wants us to live for Him. He wants us to realize that there's something bigger. Somebody came up to me as they have, well, let's not talk about ourselves, it's not realistic today. But down through the generations, how many hundreds of thousands of men and women gave their lives because someone said, deny Christ or die. The disciples, they couldn't believe that it was Jesus because they didn't want the joy that was in their hearts at the hope of seeing the resurrected Savior to just consume them and carry them away. That's what the words mean. We know He's risen. We know that He died to pay the price for our sins. We know that He'll never die again. He was offered once to pay the price of all sins forever. And his resurrection from the dead seals that. The disciples worshipped him as he ascended into heaven and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Why are we missing joy in our lives? because we don't take time to understand the resurrected Christ. You cannot see him physically, but you can see him by faith. Amen? One day these eyes will behold him. Faith will no longer be needed. It's going to be swallowed up in joy. Amen? But let's turn to John chapter 16, if you would. No matter how many times I approach these verses in John chapter 16, I just feel like I never get the, the whole truth of these verses across or communicate them effectively. We are going back in time now before the crucifixion. 
This is the night in which Jesus was betrayed. He is on his way to the Garden of Gethsemane. He's explaining a few things to the disciples. John 14, 15, 16, and 17. You would do well if you spent the rest of your life just reading those four chapters. There is so much in them. Now, I'm not saying to ignore the rest of the Bible. Please understand. But we do not understand what's in these chapters. If we did, our joy wouldn't be so full. We wouldn't know what to do with ourselves. Look at verse 20. Verily, verily, I say unto you that ye shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice. And ye shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in travail, has sorrow because her hour is come, but as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for the joy that a man is born into the world. And ye now therefore have sorrow. But I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. And in that day ye shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he will give it you. Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask, and ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. Somebody said, yes, there's still hope. I didn't get what I wanted for Christmas, but I'll start praying about it. No, no, no. That's not what this passage is talking about, my friend. It's not asking God for what you want. It's getting close enough to God that you can ask him for what he wants. It's allowing God to conform your desires to a point to where you begin to pray for the things that God wants to accomplish. If you were here for Sunday school, one of the greatest examples of that in history is the man, Nehemiah. Do you think God wanted the city of Jerusalem with the walls all broken down and the gates burned with fire and rubbish everywhere and the city of disgrace? No, he had promised that his eyes would always be toward that city. Nobody would do the work until a man named Nehemiah began to pray. Four months He prayed and fasted every day until he could no longer hide his countenance from the king. And the king took one look at him and said, What is bothering you, Nehemiah? You have to understand, nobody was allowed to be bothered in the presence of the king unless the king was bothered. Then you'd better be in agreement with what the king was upset about. You could lose your life for telling a bad joke. I kid you not. That was the world that Nehemiah lived in. We'll read the story of Esther is next week. If you showed up and the king decided he didn't want to talk to you, guess what happened? 
You died. They just took you out and chopped off certain unnecessary parts of your anatomy, starting with your head. And, and it was all over because you presumed to come into the presence of the king without him calling you. Same empire. Same laws. And yet Nehemiah began to pray. Nobody else was going to do the work. Was Nehemiah an engineer before he became a cupbearer? No. Did he understand everything? No. But when the king said, tell me what you need, he had it all planned out now, didn't he? Read the Bible. Do you think Nehemiah's heart was full of joy when they marched around the top of the walls of the city of Jerusalem? Let me tell you, there was a lot of rejoicing. But I don't think there was anybody that had more joy than Nehemiah. Because God answered his prayer that day. When is the last time you prayed for something and knew that it was God who was directing you to pray for that? That's what Jesus is talking about here in John chapter 16. He says, ask the Father in my name. Now, I hope I haven't worn out this illustration. It's the best one I can get. How many of you have ever cashed a check? That's asking in a person's name, is it not? If somebody hands you a check and it's got their name and address and their driver's license number, blood type and uh, red corpuscle count and everything printed across the top of the check and it's made out for $1,000 with your name on it and they don't sign the check. You're going to be sorely disappointed when you show up at the bank, are you not? Because if you don't sign the check, you don't have the right to ask in that person's name. But you don't understand, they made out the check, they wrote my name on it. Well, you better not try to write their name on it. That comes with a special gift. One to five. You can start a prison ministry from the inside. Don't you put somebody else's name on a check. You don't have that right. But God says, I want you, Jesus is telling the disciples, you ask the Father in my name. Well, don't ask God for something Jesus hasn't signed his name to. But when you do, God will fulfill it. I never will forget how afraid I was when I signed the name. Somebody has to sign. Somebody's name's got to be on the paper. And the lawyer said, now, pastor, 
Every time you sign, make sure you write pastor slash CEO. So you're signing for the corporation. You're not signing for yourself. I wanted to tell him, what's the difference? Neither one of us have anything, amen? We were only signing for $600,000, that was all. I never will forget driving home from the closing. I couldn't hardly hold on to the steering wheel. I just said, what did I just do? Well, the first payment was made. That was easy. Second year, it wasn't quite so easy. I'll tell you what, I wasn't full of joy when we were $150,000 short. But I will tell you, I was full of joy when the check showed up for $150,000. Amen. One check. That was pretty amazing. No, you know what that was? It was joyful. Because they knew God was answering a prayer that he wanted us to pray. And what was so just out and out amazing to me was I would go to the people of our church at the time and I said, do you really understand what was going on? Yes, pastor, God's going to provide. And in my mind and heart, I'm not thinking about that. I'm thinking, Lord, what happens if you don't? You see, that's not faith. But God provides answers in his time and in his plan if you'll just serve him. There's nothing too big for God to handle. Amen? And what we need to do is there is joy over salvation. Amen. You can reach beyond the veil of tears in which we live and pull the bell rope of heaven by helping someone get saved. Amen. There's joy over the resurrected Christ if you'll just think about what he accomplished that Sunday morning. There's joy over answered prayer when you finally receive what God wants you to receive and are full of joy because God gave it to you. How many of you have received something very good that you didn't like? Now everybody here. Mama fixed that great big bowl of spinach. Everybody's going, oh, no. Listen, it's very good for you if you learn to like it. Now, at our house, they normally are fighting over the spinach because we taught them to like the right things. And it doesn't, it doesn't hurt when you fry up a little garlic and butter and pour a little cream and some seasoned salt in there. Uh, it makes spinach taste awful good. But listen, joy is receiving an answer to your prayer what God originally intended. That is joy, my friend. But he's got to remake your desires to fit his. 
Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. Let's turn there. If you're familiar with your Bible, you'll know this passage already, the fruit of the Spirit. And I want to challenge you, if it is the fruit of the Spirit, and that's what the Bible says, this is what the Holy Spirit produces in your life if He is allowed to work the way that God intended Him to work. And it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. What's that next one? Joy. How many of you have ever eaten an unripe tomato? I mean, it looks red, but you go to cut it open and it's like cardboard inside. Has anybody ever done that? That's what happens when they pick them green and stuff them in a box and put a light on them to try to make them red so they look like they're ripe. How many of you have ever had a vine fresh tomato right off the vine and onto the plate? There are few things better than that. How about a fresh peach right off the tree? Rinse it off and eat it, fuzz and all. I'll tell you what. It takes time and effort to produce fruit. And one of the reasons we don't have the joy is because we refuse the time and the effort that the Holy Spirit has to expend in our lives to produce these things. Could we get an oh me or an amen on that one? You've got to let the Holy Spirit of God do His work. And you will have joy. And if you don't have it, you better check. You may be quenching the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. You say, how do I do that? Well, it's very easy. Don't pay attention to the Word of God. Say, Lord, I'll do everything but this one little thing, Lord. I don't have to do this one little thing. No, it doesn't work that way. If the Holy Spirit is going to work in your life, he's got to have it all. The joy, joy is the fruit now, if you're going to enjoy fresh fruit, you've got to plant the tree. You've got to grow it. You've got to prune it. You've got to make sure that it's got ample sunlight and water. And I tried to grow a lime tree in my office. They said you could do it. They lied. I got the pot. But the tree has gone the way of all the earth. You know why? Not enough direct sunlight. You've got to have direct sunlight all day. Well, I even went and bought the plant lights and put over it. I said, well, 
24 hours of plant light has got to be as good as a few hours of sunlight, right? Wrong. It just doesn't work that way. It's got to grow. It's got to have what it needs. The Holy Spirit's got to do His work. And it is so easy to hinder the Holy Spirit of God in His work. I know this sounds crazy. God is the most powerful force. He is the creator of the entire universe. But He won't save you until you ask Him to. He won't answer the prayers and give you what he greatly, greatly desires for your life until you surrender to him and his desires in prayer. He won't give you that joy that comes from the Holy Spirit of God unless you let the Holy Spirit of God work. One more. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 25. This is a parable. A parable of the talents. And it says that the Lord delivered those talents into the hands of his servants... And in verse 21 it says, And his Lord said unto him, This was the one that had been given five talents, and he earned five talents in trade and work. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the what? The joy of thy Lord. There was another guy, he was given only two, he earned two more. And we skip down to verse 24 here, 23, I'm sorry. It says, His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. What's the last phrase? Read it with me. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. The songwriter had it right. There is joy in serving Jesus now, didn't he? The example of Jesus, Hebrews chapter 12, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. That is our example. You know what? There just might be some things that you have to endure to serve the Lord. But if you want joy, you have to endure it God's way so that you can enter into the joy of thy Lord. Now, if I were to ask the question, how many of you want great joy in heaven throughout all eternity? I don't think anyone would honestly keep their hand down. Now, there might be somebody out there, I'll just shock the preacher. I'll keep my hand down. Well, I challenge you, if you lie in church, you'll lie anywhere. If you lie to God, you'll lie about anything. 
Be careful because you might believe them someday. If there is going to be joy in eternity, it's going to be because you've served God in this life. I want to ask you, can you think of instances in your life where you've allowed the Bible to make decisions for you? When you do that, you are preparing to enter in to the joy of the Lord. Do you think Jesus willingly chose the cross? That's what the Garden of Gethsemane was all about, my friend, to let you and I get a little glimpse into the heart and soul of God Himself and how repulsive and hateful and and every foul adjective that can be imagined in the heart of humankind, the cross was to Jesus Christ. Do we understand that? But he did that because there was a joy set before him. What was that joy? Let's go back to point one. We talk about all the saved rejoicing, but there is no one that rejoices more over the salvation of a sinner than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. You ever thought about that? Jesus isn't begging you to get saved. He's already done everything that is necessary for your salvation. But when you willfully choose to surrender to Him and be saved, He is the one that rejoices. Don't you think He can keep track of every soul that comes to Him every moment? Yeah. He's God. He can do that. Amen. If you want joy, you need to think about the resurrected Christ. It brought joy to the disciples' hearts. Amen. If you want your joy to be full, learn how to pray for what God wants to do in your joy will be full. You can't have any more joy than that. When the Holy Spirit of God has taken time to dig deep roots and to grow and to produce a tree that bears the fruit of joy. You know, the most interesting thing about a fruit tree is The tree itself does not benefit from the fruit. The fruit is there for something else to enjoy or for another tree to grow. We just passed the giving season, as we say. It is more blessed to give than it is to receive because you have to have something to give. 
You want something to give. Get the fruit of the Spirit. How in the world could you give anything better than that? You know why you'll have joy? It's because you'll be giving something that God produced in your life for others. Oh, I wish we had time to build all, all of these out and we've only picked a few. But to wrap it all up, there's joy in serving Jesus. John said it this way in 3 John. He said, I have no greater joy than to hear my children walk in truth. I'll tell you, as a pastor, I see many things. But I'll tell you one thing that never fails to encourage me and fill me full of joy is when I see someone who's a member of this church make a biblical decision just because the Bible says so. Not because I was over there and said, now this is what you need to do. But when they learn enough on their own to wait and to watch and to serve the Lord I'll tell you what, there, there is no greater joy. Try it sometime. Find somebody. Help them get saved. Help them grow closer to the Lord. And you'll be so full of joy, nothing else can deter you. We need joy. I need joy. But it comes by God working in us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I come before you this morning and Lord, if there's a message I feel unqualified to preach on, it is certainly this one. But Lord, it's your words It is your work. And Lord, it is your desire that each one of us in this room be filled with your joy. Lord, I pray for those that are here today that are unsaved, that today they would be willing to just let go of themselves and their plans, their wishes, their understanding. They would let go of everything. Simply trust in Jesus. Lord, I pray for those that are struggling with the flesh and with circumstances of life. That you would let them see how foolish it is to hold on to that which is nothing and lose everything by failing of your grace. Lord, I pray for those who are struggling with life circumstances. 
that you would make them willing and submissive to your will to think, to contemplate, to meditate upon the resurrected Christ. Lord, I pray for those of us who are just struggling in our prayers and things that we would begin to ask things that you want to do. That we would be willing to get close enough to you to let our prayers reflect what you want to do. Lord, that we would be willing to let the Holy Spirit take the time that is necessary to produce the fruit of joy. And Lord, that we would understand that there are sometimes some things that must be endured. There is work that should be done. There's effort that must be expended. But Lord, that you would give us a vision of the joy that is set before us. That we would lose ourselves in your joy. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Let's.